Let's pray together, shall we, before we begin tonight. Father, tonight I stand before my brothers and sisters with such a burden upon my heart. And Father, I just know, Lord, that you want to speak maturity to us. Father, I would ask in the name of Jesus, Father, as we tonight consider eldership and next time consider membership and submission, that you will give us, Father, just the right balance and the right emphasis. Father, in these days where there is so much wrong that is spoken about and so much harshness, I want to pray, Lord, that tonight you will direct our footsteps. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of, of love, a God who is the Good Shepherd, and a God who cares for every one of your children. Father, we would long that in our fellowships we should see the same caring, Father, that you have in your heart. We would ask that we may be a manifestation of all that you are to one another. Father, I would ask therefore tonight that by your Holy Spirit you will take my mouth and that you will use it for your own glory. And Father, as we begin our study really concerning authority, that we should always remember that it is to you, it is to you that one day we will give an account, every one of us. And Father, it is before you that we stand or we fall. And it is, it is with you that we have to do. Father, I would ask you, Lord, to remind us again just how short our lives are. And we have no time to spend stupidly in sin and self-indulgence. But Father, the days are very short and we shall meet our Maker and we're so thrilled that Jesus is coming again. But Father, we know and there's fear of an awesome nature in our hearts. For we realize, Father, that this life that we have is a gift straight from your hand to us. And it's a gift that you will take back one day. And Father, we will give an account of how we have used that gift. I pray, Father, that we may be found to have been faithful, that we may be found to have been sold out to your purposes and not our own. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, may tonight, Father, further your work in this fellowship of ours. And therefore, in this country, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. Amen. We've been covering an awful lot of topics under the heading of Fellowship Life. And finally, we have come to the point where we have got to start talking about God's authority and his structure of authority in the local fellowship. So today I'm going to be speaking about what the Bible has to say about this uh, office that we call elder. And next time I'll be talking about our attitude towards the elders and what our response ought to be towards them. Before I begin, however, I wonder whether I may share something that is so on my heart. Today, as I was uh, praying about tonight, the Lord reminded me of days about 15, 16 years ago when the Holy Spirit was first poured out upon uh, groups of, of Christians and, group, and individuals in this country. And I began to think again about the thrill of those days. Do you know there were some Christians who'd been Christians for years, who about that time suddenly came into a brand new revelation of Jesus Christ, and who found a new thrill and, and became free in the Spirit about that time. There were others like myself who were young babes in Christ 
and we had the joy of just bubbling along into what God was doing. And where I was uh, at that time and the, the Christians among whom I met, we were so thrilled just with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that came upon us. I tell you, we lived in Acts chapter 2 all the time that they were gathered in that upper room and there was a sound as of a mighty rushing wind and the Holy Spirit came upon them. It filled all the place where they were sitting and they began to speak with other tongues. No, and it was so exciting. And in fact, for year after year, all we talked about was Acts chapter 2 and are you filled with the Spirit, brother, and, and things like this. And in those days, if anyone had said to us, what about authority in the midst? We would have been offended. We would have found it abhorrent to us because God at that moment was not putting his finger on authority. He was still filling us with joy at the freedom that was available in the Holy Spirit. But after a while, and in my case after a few years, we began to find that there must be something more than just this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And gradually it was as if God began to lead us through the book of Acts. And we began to find that having been filled with the Spirit, now God was bringing groups of believers together. And they were learning what it was to have care for one another, to evangelize with one another, and things like this. And God was bringing groups together, as he did in the early parts of the book of Acts. And then the time came when God began to speak to us about authority. Now, really, it was something that many of us didn't expect. Because many people have come out from a structured sort of situation, out from a, a, a situation where authority had really stopped the move of the Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit suddenly started beaming in again on authority, there were a number of reactions. In this fellowship, we gradually started moving into it. Now, we were very cautious, very, very cautious, but we started moving forward. I think uh, the fellowship had been in existence about four or five years before we ever talked about eldership. You know, we, we just didn't, somehow we all just collected together and we managed to get through together and it was pretty exciting. But then God suddenly said, if you are to continue in growth, you've got to see the appointment of people who are in authority in this place. I remember that evening so well when we were having a meeting together and I had a vision of a resignation letter, you know, and of course being the type of chap that I am, I gave it out as soon as I got it. Oh, I see a vision of a letter. And I actually announced to everyone and I see someone opening it. And as it opened out, it was, I hereby resign. And I actually said the words, I hereby resign from my position in this fellowship and my name was at the bottom. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Roger, the day has come when you no can no longer carry the baby by yourself. Now, if the thing is going to have a future and, we've got to, and we you're going to expand, you have now got to learn what it is to share the responsibility with other people. And so gradually we moved forward into it. I remember we had a meeting here in this fellowship and we all sat down and I said, well, this is what ought to happen, but how we get there, I don't know. And I remember it was dear Mike Bauer who actually stood up and said, well, I think, and he gave us the word of the Lord at that particular time. But we didn't know which way to go. But we moved in cautiously. Now, other people had other reactions. There were some people who the minute the Holy Spirit started pointing at authority and highlighting it, 
immediately said, no, we're not going to have anything to do with it. That's what we came out from. We're not going back into that type of thing. And they stayed very much uh, in a situation where they would have no one in a position of eldership, even though the book of Acts and other passages in Scripture talk clearly that elders were of God and the appointment of eldership was of God in his time. But they had nothing to do with it. And I have to tell you that many of these groups actually found that because they resisted the Holy Spirit at that particular point, that chaos began breaking out in the midst of their fellowships. Anarchy was the rule. And many, many people were damaged by these groups as they tried to continue. You know, there are people today, and this may come as a shock to some of you, who actually think that the word fellowship is synonymous with anarchy. And whenever they hear, you're from a fellowship, they think, ah, ah, anything goes. That's what a fellowship actually means. And many of them remember those days and those fellowships where it was true that anything did go. All right, that was one end, but others had another reaction. Some acted like a pendulum. Having had no authority up this end, they then swung right the way round to the other extreme, and suddenly they started talking about authority in the strictest possible terms, far stricter than any denomination on the face of Britain today. And there was this complete swing, with some of them, quite honestly, it was just false doctrine that was coming, coming out. And certain people came in, they started saying, oh no, 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 you mustn't hear from God yourself. You've got to check everything with someone who is in authority above you. And even though the Bible said that my sheep will hear my voice, these people said, oh no, whenever God speaks, he'll speak through those who are your shepherds or those who are your elders over you. And you've got this amazing situation that many people sold themselves out to an authoritative structure which was wrong, in which actually you would have to rewrite Psalm 23. You know Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, with these groups, very often it became that my shepherd is my Lord. And very often, the shepherd was the one who told you who to marry. And the shepherd told you where you should live. And the shepherd told you you should buy a bigger house. And the shepherd told you this and told you that. So that you came into a position where, quite honestly, you didn't do anything except what this man who was above you said. Now, much of that occurred because of false teaching. But other people swung that way because of the sheer chaos that they'd seen at the other end of the spectrum. And I think a lot of people were so damaged and sickened by the do-as-you-please people up this end that they said, that is so awful and evil, we want it the other way altogether. And many of them came back into the bondage that they had formerly left because of this sort of pendulum action. Now, can I say this, that for us as a fellowship, we have moved in what I think is the balanced position over authority. And as far as I'm concerned, I want to continue moving in this balanced position. But if we are to do it, we've got to make sure that the anarchy and the chaos are not in the midst of the fellowship. You see, wherever you get in the fellowship, anarchy and chaos, and every man doing that which is right in his own eyes, Sooner or later, you get people in the fellowship demanding stronger authority, simply because they won't, don't like to see these people doing what they please in the midst. It frightens them. It makes them nervous. And if you get anarchy 
in the midst of a fellowship, everyone doing that, you know, which they consider to be right, it's the quickest way to get strong, tough, harsh, and wrong authority in the midst of a fellowship. And therefore, I would say this, that we've got to understand that in some ways, we will dictate what type of authority we have in our own fellowship. Now, I believe in the highway. I always like the highest way with God. And the highest way, I believe, does not lie with this harsh type of authority. The highest way, of course, lies with the recognition that every one of us hears from God and is an able minister. May I just show you what I'm talking about by going to the Old Testament before we come on to have a look at the word elder. And I want to have a look at the nation of Israel. You remember, don't you, that when Israel came out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, God appointed them as his nation. Now, his plan was very simple, and it was this. I will be your king, said God, and you will be my people. Isn't that lovely? And you will bow the knee to me, and you will spend all of your lives sold out and obedient servants to me. Now, he then said, there will be certain people who I appoint to a leadership position, but these people will simply A, show you the way, and B, they will give you teaching concerning myself. But I'll be the king. And that, you know, was the way of highest blessing. The problem was that the children of Israel didn't like having God as their king. They did not submit to him. You just have to read the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers to see that there was constant bickering going on in the midst of that group. Here they were, God as their king, wonderful blessings available to them, and they were bickering and they were backbiting. And there were rebellions, and there were words spoken against those in authority on every hand. And there was party spirit, and this group disagreed with this group. And they were all opposed to God, and they were all shouting, why were you doing this? Are you sure you're right to do that? What about this? And so this chaos occurs. And you remember, on more than one occasion, God said to Moses, I'm, I give up on this people. I'm going to destroy them. I've had enough. You know, this utter chaos that is going on. I'll have nothing to do with them. And Moses, you remember, intercedes on their behalf and says, God, if you let these people go, what are the enemies going to think? This is going to be terrible and your name will be damaged. And God then apparently says, okay, we'll let them move forward, you know, and I'll, we'll still keep them intact as a nation. But the situation as history went on in Israel got worse and worse and worse. That's the bad news. It became so bad that Samuel actually did a research topic into the anarchy in the land. And we've got the result of his research in our Bibles. It's called the Book of Judges. It's a really shocking book. And you see, here are God's people. He's king over them, and they're constantly in bondage to this person and to that person and to the other person. And then he raised up a man to deliver them, but that only lasted for a few years, and then they were back again into bondage. And as Samuel wrote this book... He came to a conclusion at the very end, which is frightening. Have you ever read the last verse of the book of Judges? Turn to the book of Judges, chapter 21. The book of Judges, chapter 21 and verse 25. And this is the conclusion of the whole book of Judges. In those days, it says in verse 25, there was no king in Israel 
meaning no physical king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now that's a staggering conclusion. There was no king in Israel, so every man did that which he deemed to be correct. And the anarchy was so bad that the whole nation was in danger of dissolving into chaos and then disintegrating. Now, in order to preserve Israel, do you know what God did? He allowed them to have a human king. And can you see the point that I'm making here? If there is chaos abroad, in a fellowship or in a land, if there is anarchy on every side, one solution is to have harsh authority over you. But that's not the highest way. I know fellowships around in our land today where, quite honestly, there was such chaos in the midst that the poor old elders didn't know which way to turn. And do you know which way they turned? They turned to harsh authority because it was the only way they had to deal with this anarchy that was breaking out in the midst. Oh, the tragedy of it. It's not the highest way, my beloved. And you remember, don't you, that the people came to Samuel and they said, we want a king over us. You know, we want a human king. They've got one, they've got one. We want a human king over us. And do you remember, Samuel was angry at the very suggestion when God was their king, that they should dare to have a man appointed as king over them. But God says something very surprising. If you turn with me to 1 Samuel and chapter 8. 1 Samuel and chapter 8. And I always imagine them to be like impetuous uh, children here. You know, stamping their feet like this. You know, some children have the tendency to do it when they don't get their own way. And in 1 Samuel 8, verse 5, they said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And here's what the Lord said. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. Do what they say, Samuel, he says. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And you only get this tough authority when really the truth is that either you've had false doctrine fed in there, that is happening in our land today, or because the people, quite honestly, will not submit to what God says in a particular matter. And we in fellowships must realize this, that our responsibility, every one of us has a responsibility, it is to permit him to be king. If we permit him to be king, then in fact, praise God, we're going to find there's no need for any harsh authority at all. In that type of situation, you'll hardly notice there are any elders around because everyone will be submitted unto the king. When you get harsh authority, it's tough. It really is. Actually, God actually says to Samuel, go on, tell them how awful it's going to be. Try and persuade them. It doesn't work. What does he say? Verse 10. This is, by the way, verse 10 to... You know, to near the end, verse 18 here, is a lovely picture of bureaucracy in our land. You know, it's, it really is. This is what bureaucracy is doing to every one of us. But look what it says. 
Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked him a king. He said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captain over thousands and captain over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war, and instruments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be confectionaries, and to be cooks, and to be bakers. He will take your fields, and your vineyards, and your olive yards, even the best of them, give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your seed, and of your vineyards, and give to his officers, and to his servants. He will take your men servants, your maid servants, your goodliest young men, your asses, and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, And ye shall be his servants, and ye shall cry out in that day, because of your king which you have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. And then nevertheless they would not go on. They said, but we will have a king over us. And if we have a fellowship which has this tough type of authority, do you know the people are that much poorer? Because no more can they reach out independently to God. The tendency is always to reach out to a man to tell you what to do. He becomes your Lord at that particular point. And there's such a lack then of individual response to God, or that can be the tendency uh, that can creep in. Now I want to say this, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as the elders here are concerned, and I'm sure as far as the majority of the fellowship are concerned, we want God's highest way to be the rule for this fellowship. And do you know the highest way is when we all learn to submit to God and therefore to submit to one another. That's the highest way. The word submission is generally used in terms of eldership. And by the way, next time I'll be talking about what the word submission really means. But normally it says, we're elders round here and you better submit. That's the way that it's used. Excuse me, you've got to submit. You may have noticed you've never really heard that ever said by me in the fellowship here, nor I trust by any of the other elders in the fellowship, or very rarely indeed. I tell you the rule that I go by, and this I believe is the highest way of all, is found in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. Ephesians 5 and verse 21. Ephesians 5 and verse 21. Look what it says. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Or as some versions have it, submitting yourselves one to another out of reverence to Christ. And do you see here, it doesn't say all submitting to one another, except for the elders, of course, who don't have to submit to anyone. It doesn't say that. It says here that all submit to one another. But it's in the fear of God that we do it. And I had, a few years ago, a lovely vision of what a perfect fellowship is. I had a vision of people standing as if they were um, uh, dominoes round in a circle. You know the way you stand these dominoes up on end round the circle. And I saw us all standing round in a circle, and we, we were all leaning at 45 degrees. It was lovely, you know, like this. And it went round in a circle. And you know, it's so lovely because everyone was leaning on someone else, but everyone else, everyone had someone leaning on them. It was beautiful. And there were people who were taking the strain and people who were carrying the strain, but everyone was doing a little bit of both. You see, it was just beautiful. It really was. 
And the Lord said, that is the highest way. You see, the difficulty, if you have a very tough form of submission in eldership, is this. The tendency is to feel that these men have made it. You know? That they've absolutely made it now. Wow, they're the tops. That's it. And there they are, and the rest of the people are sort of underneath them. And do you know, that's not true. Because I have found this, that as I go on with God, I find more and more areas of my life that need dealing with. And the great key of the, that's in the Bible is this. It says all men are fallen, including elders, including apostles, including whoever else you'd like to name. Every one of them is fallen. And every one of them, therefore, needs the body around to help them in their lives. After all, what is the main aim of being in a fellowship like this? Is it so that the fellowship will get larger and larger? No, sir. What is the real aim of a fellowship? Now, obviously, we've been through the aims. But do you know the one I'm isolating is this. I believe God wants to train us so that we become like broken-in horses in his hand. So that when he says go, we go. You know, we don't say nay to what he says. So that when he pulls us to the left, we go left. And when he pulls us to the right, we go right. Now, how is he going to do it? I'll tell you how he's going to do it. It's going to be through the body that he does that. But it's only going to come about as we fulfill the scripture. This is not anarchy. This is not every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. What this is, is submitting to one another in the fear of God. And I'll tell you this, I'm so glad that I have not been put in a position where I'm totally untouchable. Do you know some men are, in, in some places, they're totally untouchable up here. And if someone dares to say they're wrong on anything, they immediately say, how dare you? I'm the elder around here and you better submit to me. That's the type of thing that they give. But do you know, I've learned this, that very often God will appoint his ministers to speak to my life, to correct my life. And I need that correction. I can honestly say that the whole of the problem that I had concerning the death of my mother when I was young, it wouldn't have been solved if I'd been put on this pedestal. It wouldn't have been solved. It was because certain people were prepared to come to me and say, excuse me, Roger, but we feel there's a major area of your life that still needs dealing with. That's how it got dealt with, right? It wouldn't have been dealt with otherwise. I can think of so many occasions when people, beloved people in this fellowship, have actually come up to me and said, Roger, do you mind if I just say this? And I always say, no, I don't mind a bit, because I'll take it to the Lord, and, and they know I, they'll better pray for me, you know, if it's true. And they said, do you mind? I remember one person who was a very young Christian shared some problems with me. And uh, in those days, I found it hard to keep people's problems. And I'd shared them with someone else. Two weeks later, they were around saying, you're the biggest gossip in the fellowship, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I think so. And uh, we got, I got down on my knees and I said, you better pray for me now. And so I was ministered to. And you see, this is so important. And I believe that we've got to see we're all in this together. We're all moving on in the Lord together. Now, this verse says, all of us submit to one another. Every one of us submit to one another. And this means that there's no question of them and us developing at all. It shouldn't be that way. What we should do, and we'll be talking about this next time, is recognize that certain people have been appointed. But in the dealings in our lives, we all need one another. We really do. And so, through a verse like this, we find immediately the highest way coming forth. 
There's another verse that I could turn to. There are many. But if we go to Philippians, and this is all before we get on to the study of the word elder. If we go to Philippians in chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. And today, in the body of Christ, many men who are in positions of authority are there because, quite honestly, they're nakedly ambitious. They want the position. Now this says, no, don't do anything because of vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what mind was it? Why, it was a mind of humility. This is not what we see in the body of Christ. Even today, in the body of Christ, we have people who are determined that they will do their own thing. This sort of, I am more spiritual than anyone else you know around here. It's that type of attitude which is part of the anarchy. But this is not submitting to one another. Now, if we get that submission to one another, basically in our hearts, we're ready to move on to correct authority in the midst. And so may I say this, and I'm sure I speak for the other elders, that none of us likes the situation where the elders are seen even in a meeting. My heart's desire is that people should come into our meetings and not know who the elders are. Great stuff. Why? Because everyone's acting like an elder. Because everyone has such a degree of maturity that they think, oh, that chap must be an elder. I asked my, one of my visitors, you know, who would you think the elders were in the meeting? And he didn't know their names, but he started pointing people out. And I think he only got one elder. And I was very thrilled about that, you know, absolutely delighted that that was the case. My heart's desire is that all of us should be, perhaps not appointed officially as elders, but certainly acting as elders. That's the desire of my heart. And I just love the way that I see within our own fellowship that that is the desire, really, of most people in our fellowship you know, certainly among the elders, that we're moving on together in all of this. All right, having said all of that, let's go on to a study of what the position or the office of elder really is. Because God has appointed elders in the midst. Generally, their, their job is to show the way ahead, as far as the fellowship is concerned, to give correct teaching and balance, as far as the fellowship is concerned, and as we'll see later on, to make sure there's no oppression in the midst. But let's have a look at it. In the Bible, there are three words that are used, three Greek words, which are used for this position that I call elder. The first, and it's worth noting these down, is the word episkopos. E-P-I-S-K-O-P-O-S, episkopos. Now, I'll tell you what that is in just a minute. The next one is the word poimen, P-O-I-M-E-N. And the last word is the word 
presbyteros. P-R-E-S-B-U-T-E-R-O-S. And in the Bible, these three words are the words used for the position that we call elder. And I'll be proving that in just a moment. Unfortunately, the King James Version doesn't just use three words to translate these. It uses five. And that's a real shame. For example, where you see episkopos here, the King James Version uses two words. The first is bishop, and the second is overseer. Apologies to all with Anglican tendencies here. All right? Bishop and overseer. And when you see the word bishop or the word overseer, it's the same word in Greek, episkopos. Poimen also has two. Shepherd and pastor. And where you see the word shepherd, it's the word poimen. Where you see the word pastor, it's the word poimen again. And presbyteros is our old friend, elder. So they're the words that the King James Version uses. Bishop, overseer, which are the same. Shepherd and pastor, which are the same. And elder, which stands by itself. Now, there they are. And actually what we can say is this. That, first of all, the episcopos is the task of an elder. And it means to oversee. To oversee. That is the task that he has to do. A shepherd or a pastor is his ministry. And we'll be looking at that a little later on. An elder is his qualification. There must be a degree of spiritual maturity. All right, so there we are. We've got bishop, overseer, shepherd, pastor, and elder. And I say they refer to the same office entirely. To see that, we've got to turn to two key passages of Scripture which are very important. The first is Acts and chapter 20. Acts and chapter 20. And we'll see in this passage that all three of these Greek words are used and they all refer to elders. In Acts 20, and beginning verse 17, we have Paul saying farewell to the elders of the church of Ephesus. He's going bound in the Spirit, and he knows this is the last time he'll see them. And verse 17, now I'll point out the Greek words as we come to them. Verse 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders. Now that's the word presbyteros of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Can you see, there's no I am the minister around here type of attitude. There was humility in his mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, and so it goes on. Verse 28, he then gives them this message. Now he's speaking to the presbyteros, so we've had the bottom word here. And this is what he says. 
Take heed therefore unto yourselves and, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Episcopos. There. And then it says to feed the church of God. And may I say this, that the word to feed is the second word. It's the word to shepherd. And so there is where, sorry, it would be the third word in the, the context, but the second in our list, poimen, here. So you've got in verse 17, presbyteros. In verse 28, overseers or episcopos. And then the word to feed there is to shepherd, which is related to the word poimen. To shepherd the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. There it is. And by the way, we'll just read verse 29 and 30, and I'll be speaking about these next time. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And then he says, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And Paul says, as soon as I've gone, there are going to be two attacks upon your church. And by the way, every fellowship will suffer these attacks. First of all, there will be wolves trying to come into the fellowship in order to pervert the work and destroy it. There will also be people from among the fellowship who will try and destroy the work as well. And his warning is, you elders, he says, first of all, look to yourselves. Because you are not above deception, any one of you. You look to yourselves. Next, look to the flock. Over which, notice, the Holy Ghost has appointed you overseers. And I want to say at this point that if any man has the position of an elder, it is nothing of man. It is God's direct appointment on that particular person. I'll be back to that again next time. God appoints. I can say to you uh, about my own ministry, it is God appointed. I know it is. And my wife will tell you that so often before a conference or something, I'll be saying, oh, darling, why am I going to this conference? You know, what have I got to share on this particular evening? Because I'm speaking without the anointing. And then you get on the platform and suddenly the anointing's there. And suddenly you think, well, praise the Lord. You know, this is, this is wonderful. You know, we're off, as it were. Now that's the appointment of God. And the elders in any fellowship are appointed by the Holy Spirit. And it's lovely, as they're slaves of God, it's God who will actually fight for them, which is a lovely thought for elders. Uh, in 1 Peter 5, we have another passage which uses all three words, and I want to draw some teaching from this. In 1 Peter... And chapter 5, and beginning verse 1, and I'm going right down to verse 6, because verse 5 and verse 6 actually underline what I've said at the beginning of tonight's meeting. Verse 1, the elders, that's the word presbyteros, the elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 2, feed the flock. No, it's shepherd the flock. And that's our good friend Poiman again. 
shepherd the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, notice you elders, but willingly. And we elders must watch it and be very careful because sometimes eldership can become a real chore. If ever we are fulfilling our role as elders, because quite honestly it's a chore, and we wish we weren't doing it, it's time for us actually to just step aside and have a time with the Lord and get back to God. It has to be willingly. Now, it's a difficult task. You know, you're dealing with some of the problems, all of the problems usually, of a particular area. And it is hard, but we must make sure always it's the willingness that's in our heart that is behind our, our oversight. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre. That's money and goods and chattel, right? Not for all that stuff. I know some elders who, quite honestly, can't move from their church because they're getting so much money from their church that they can't afford to move. Well, isn't it wonderful? Most of our elders get not a bean. Hallelujah. That's very safe. So certainly it's not for filthy lucre that they do it. But of a ready mind neither as being lords over God's heritage. And sometimes you go to some places and they're the lords at the front. You know, and it's quite obvious who the elders are around here. They're all sitting at the front. There they are. And uh, sometimes they're lording it over the flock. Not always, but sometimes. Isn't it lovely again in our fellowship that uh, we sit hidden away, praise the Lord. Rather like the girders of a house, you know. You, I, I can't tell where the rafters in my house are. They're hidden away, but they're there all right. And so they ought to be. <laughs> Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And I'll be saying something about that in a minute. When the chief shepherd shall appear. In other words, they've got someone over them who's called the chief shepherd. Shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now the beginning of verse 5 is a very difficult verse indeed, and there are two views on it. It says in the King James, Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And some people say this refers to respecting those who are older than you in age. Right? And may I say this, that the Bible definitely does say that those who are young ought to respect those who are more old. I mean, in terms of ordinary life. That's what the Bible definitely says. But I feel personally that this again keeps on the subject of elders. And that's why I like the New American Standard Version of this particular verse, which translates this like this. Likewise, ye younger men, submit yourselves unto your elders, meaning the elders who are in authority in the church. And this is a reminder to younger men, and not just younger in, in years, but sometimes younger in the faith, that in fact they have to get as it were, into a position where they will give respect to those who have been in the move of the Spirit longer, as it were, than they have. And this is a reminder. And this, again, is an anti-anarchy verse. Do you see that? It's actually saying, I know you young, young fellows, this is what Peter's saying, you're full of verve, and by the way, who else could write this but Peter, who was full of verve himself, right? He was full of his, you know, full of enthusiasm. And yet here... He says, now look you, you younger people in the faith, I know you're desperate to get moving, but hold on a minute. Make sure you've got a healthy respect for those who are the elders in the particular fellowship. All right, then it goes on. Yea, all of you, 
And I underline this particular part. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another, all of us, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. There it is. All right, I want to draw certain lessons from these, and those of you taking notes, it's worth noting these down, I think, because they're very important. Here is what the Bible says about eldership. First of all, in the passages where elders are mentioned, the, the word elder is always in the plural. There are always more than one elder in any fellowship. We have eight elders in our own fellowship. This is very important. And any system that has one man as supremo in a church is obviously wrong immediately. Now, what does this do? By having a plurality of elders, it actually makes sure that you don't get naked ambition at the top of a church. This is why the elders must make sure they're not just yes men. You know, oh, yes, yes. Well, if he says it, yes. That's no use. And this stops one person dominating absolutely in a church. Very important. Incidentally, may I say this, my interpreter who was here last week was amazed that everyone was so independent. You know, I think he gained the impression that everyone would revolve around me in this fellowship. And everywhere he went, he found that people had their own revelation of God, which was lovely. And, and he was very, very thrilled, you know, that that was the case. But that has come through plurality of elder, eldership. It's lovely. The other thing, by the way, that this stops is one man being overworked at the top who then has a nervous breakdown. And that happens to a lot of very godly and lovely men. And there they are, they're shouldering the whole responsibility themselves. That's totally anti-biblical. If you have a fellowship, then you should have bishops, plural. Right? Elders who are in authority over that particular work. And this is hard. You see, many men cannot work in a team. They don't like teamwork. I know many, many, especially ambitious men, who quite honestly can't get on with people who are their equals or people who may be more mature than they are. They can only function by themselves. And very often these men are, are men who want to come in. They want to take over the complete work. They've got to be top dog in everything. But under this system, they stop from being top dog. Because, you see, you've got to start moving in a team. I have to confess to you, I found this very difficult. Right? This wasn't easy for me at all. When I had that resignation letter given to me, I thought, I can't do it, Lord. You know? But I had to trust that God knew what he was doing. And I don't like it when in the elders' meetings I say, I think this should be done. And all the other elders say, no, 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 no. I don't like that very much. You know, I want to stand up in front of the fellowship and say, look everybody, I said this. <laughs> Chances are, of course, everyone would say, well, praise the Lord, that wasn't done. <laughs> Is it? And they would be proved right. But that was difficult, you see. But nevertheless, this is the biblical pattern. And you must make sure that the elders that are in the fellowship are not yes men. And that they ought to have a very different characters, all of them. They shouldn't be all of one type. They should be able to cover a multitude of sins, as it were, right? A multitude of types of experience. That's what they ought to be able to do in, in a particular fellowship. So always plural. 
the second point to notice, notice what it says in verse 1, the elders which are among you. And the important thing for all elders is to remain among the people. And indeed, if you are appointing an elder, they should be someone well known to the fellowship. And that's because you've got to know their weak points as well as their strong points. Right? You've got to. Very, very important. Now, occasionally you get a chap who comes in and he joins the fellowship and within two weeks it's quite obvious he wants to be the elder around here. But, and sometimes, of course, they have the qualifications of being an elder. But do you know what that chap's got to do? He's got to start functioning in the midst so that everyone gets to know him. Because you can't just point a chap from outside and then think, oh, well, everyone will know this particular fellow. Uh, uh, you know, quite a number of people have got to know this person well in the midst of the fellowship. He is actually from among you. And may I say this, also, a chap who is an elder mustn't be away from the fellowship too long. And I'm talking about myself here. And that's why you'll find that I often come back from my ministry away at breakneck speed, 70 miles an hour, that is, <laughs> breakneck speed, so that I can be back in the fellowship here. Because it's no use if I'm away for nine months, my coming back into the midst of the fellowship and saying, oh, what you need is such and such. Because I'm out of touch, I don't know what's going on. So there we are, the elder has to be someone who is among us. The next point that has to be made is this word shepherding. Now, a shepherd is someone who leads the flock, right? He doesn't drive them from behind. He actually leads them forward. And therefore, a shepherd must be an example, actually, to the flock. And what you should be able to see in those who are shepherds, and this is very challenging for those who are elders, people should be able to see in your life what Christ is leading them into. Right? In other words, if we go on in the Lord, this is what we're going to be like. Not exactly, because your character's different, obviously. But you should get a taste of that which is ahead. Uh, of course, shepherds provide security, don't they, for the flock. You know, in the ancient world, the shepherd would lead his flock during the day into luscious pasture. But um, at night, he would actually sing to the sheep. And as long as they heard the shepherd's voice, they felt safe. Now, I'm not going to come round tonight <laughs> and sit on your door doorstep and actually give you a song or two. It will probably frighten the living daylights out of you anyway. But the point here is that the sheep gain security from these people who are shepherds. Again, there was a time in the fellowship where if I was in a meeting, people felt safe. And if I wasn't in the meeting, everyone sort of despaired. They really, oh no, oh, what's going to happen? Those days have gone, praise the Lord. Those of you who wish to be elders, one of the things that people should gain from you is a sense of utter security when you're actually in the meeting, you know. So that is part of the shepherding, okay, part of the shepherding. The next thing is this, um, the ministry of overseeing here. This is the fourth, the ministry of overseeing. Episcopos means to look around. That's what it means. It does not mean standing at the front and directing everything. That's not what episcopos means. What it means is that when you're in a meeting, you actually are alert to what's going on in that meeting or on the way around. That's the ministry that elders specifically have. It does not say here that they should do all the ministry. Right? It doesn't say that. What they should do is oversee the ministers. And who are the ministers? Why, you are, folks. 
Every one of you is a minister. Okay? Do you remember when I dealt with body ministry? Do you remember I actually emphasized this point? That unless we take our ministry very seriously indeed, and take the meetings very seriously indeed, then there's only a, one alternative, and that is that we have meetings left from the front. You know? And we've got to see again what I'm saying about eldership, that we have a responsibility in all of this. After all, if people just feel, oh, well, you know, too tired for that particular meeting, someone's got to come to the meeting, as it were, to receive from God in that particular meeting. And unless all of us are diligent so that we come with the anointing of the Spirit upon us at those meetings and come with the Word of God, as it were, ready, so living and dwelling in us that we can move forward, then, in fact, there's only one alternative, and that is that the meetings must be led from the front. Now, we love this freedom, but it has responsibilities. So here are the overseers, and they oversee. And the minute a meeting goes wobbly, right, say it goes slightly off the rails, you should find that the elder will be up at that particular point. Or if a troublemaker's in the midst, or someone causing the sheep to really be shaky, then the, you should suddenly see the elder standing up. It's lovely, actually, when I've seen someone who's disturbed people. I find people all looking at me. You see, it's lovely, really. And I sit there for a few more minutes and let them all gaze before I then finally move in. But that's the ministry of an elder. All right? Um, the fifth thing I want to talk about is the verse in verse 3 where it says, Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. There it is. And this is actually saying it is never right for an elder to start using lordly authority. In other words, to start kicking people around and to get them into order. That is never correct for an elder. Rather, you've got to be an example. It's no use my standing up and saying, now come on everybody, you've got to move in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. No good my just saying that. Or, come on, move in anointed ministry. If, when I stand up in a mo Sunday morning meeting, it just is as flat as a pancake. Because people will be saying, well, he's telling us to do it. And honestly, it's terrible. What he's doing. Oh, no, dry bone half hour coming up. <laughs> it's no use doing that. We've got to be examples to the flock. And any person who desires the position of an elder has got to learn that they must show the way in all of these, these things. One thing I want to say here. If ever you feel that one of the elders has kicked you around in a way that was wrong, and I'll be defining that in just a little while. If ever you feel an elder has treated you wrongly, the reason there are eight elders is so that you can go to another one to get the complaint sorted out. Now don't go to this person and that person and that person and that person. Go to another elder and make a complaint so that that elder is dealt with. Now, this is part of our dealing with one another's lives. It's very important that we actually do that. And the last point I want to make is this. Elders must themselves submit. And I know this, that if you come to correct me, I will receive your correction in the spirit of humility. I may talk about it with you a bit, you know, and... Uh, say, now, hold on, what exactly are you saying to me? I have the right to do that, as you have the right to do that, if I come and correct you. But if I cannot be corrected by you, then it seems to me it's nonsense for me to expect you to be in a submissive place when I come and correct you. And I feel that a man who cannot be under authority should never be in authority anyway. 
That's terribly important. You know, we've got to all learn this. Incidentally, in the local area groups, we're really learning something about ourselves, aren't we? In those local area groups. They're jolly tough. Really hard. Yes, they are. But you see, we've got to learn about this authority. And if in the local area group you've got everyone submitting to one another, you should have no problems in that group. The one thing you learn if your group is a bit dicey is that really you're not submitting to one another. And we've got to learn this submission to one another. And that's one of the steps on the way to eldership, incidentally, to learn that type of thing. It's so easy, isn't it, to get resolute somehow, set. Well, this meeting's not going the right way. You just sit there. They're not doing it right. Definitely they're not. And that's it. Now that's not submission to one another. And this is why in those local area groups we're learning very valuable lessons. All right, having said that, let's go on and see the, the qualifications of an elder. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, here are certain things about eldership. And after I've done that, I want to talk about your rights as an individual. Now that's very important. So let's just read from verse 1 to verse 7. And if you see in an elder's life that any of these things are not true, you have some praying to do for that elder, and that elder certainly has got some work to do as far as God is concerned. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And there's nothing wrong in desiring to become an elder. As long as it's not naked ambition. Oh good, I'll be able to kick the sheep around now. That's not it. You should desire it because it's furthering the work of God. Verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. That might means that there should be nothing that you can point a finger at in that particular man's life of a moral nature or something like that. He must be blameless. The husband of one wife. Now, can I just explain what... The, it does not mean here that all elders have to be married. Right? Doesn't mean, I was an elder for some years before I got married. That's not what it means. When this was written, there was a lot of polygamy around. And some people had three or four wives, you see. Well, the Bible definitely says that polygamy is wrong that you should have one wife. Now apparently here you are, you trail in with your four wives, sit down in the meeting, and then you stand up and talk about the sanctity of marriage. Then everyone says, yeah, it's all right for him, isn't it? You know, got his caravan of slaves coming in behind him. And you must love your wife. Yes, well I do, number three. I, like, I love her very much. No, I, yeah, I got the best wife in England, you know, the other one's in Africa. It's no good talking on that type of level. And this is simply saying that a man, as far as his marriage is concerned, has got to be supportive of what the Bible is teaching concerning marriage. Next, he must be vigilant. Now, this is a word meaning alert all the time. Wisely cautious is how I would translate it. Wisely cautious. And here's a man, and a situation is presented to him, and what he doesn't do is immediately suffer from foot-in-the-mouth disease. Right, he doesn't. So, oh, oh, I know what to do. Ah! And immediately his foot's gone in and it wasn't the word of the Lord anyway. The man who is an elder must be wisely cautious and must learn to wait upon the Lord before he gives his advice over a particular issue. He must also, in any situation, be like Hawkeye. 
right? Looking out for problem areas. There they are, right? I'm like that myself, by the way, right? That's why I know generally most things that are going on around, right? That's my Hawkeye sort of technique. Vigilant. Next one, sober. Has nothing to do with drink at this point, may I say, all right? I'm sober. It's nothing to do with that. What it, what it means is he's got to be serious and earnest. This doesn't mean to say he, he mustn't have a sense of humour. There are some Bible teachers who think it's terribly wrong ever to laugh in the Bible study, right? And some of them you feel like crying in the Bible study, actually. It's not that at all, all right? But it means serious and earnest, right? So that when someone comes with the problem, they take it very seriously and they listen hard, as if that person really is important. They're not flippant with them and give them, oh, a quick answer and off they go. That's useless. Next, of good behaviour, which means when you look at his life, there's order and discipline in his own life. You know, he's, he's an example on that level. Given to hospitality. In other words, when visitors come, you don't think, oh, no. But you are prepared to open up your life and your home and have people actually staying. And these can be any people who are in need at that particular time. You've got to learn hospitality. In other words, you don't have a closed-door syndrome. In other words, well, my public front, they'll see out there, but I'm a private person in here. That's not it. Next, apt to teach. An apt to teach does not mean that every elder is a Bible teacher. Now, that's obvious, isn't it? Right? You only have to listen to a few elders, and you know they're not Bible teachers. I don't just mean in our fellowship. I mean anywhere. That's not their gift. They may have another particular gift. But the word apt to teach means this, that when they actually speak to you, they know the Word of God and can correct you if you're saying something that's wrong in the Word of God. Now, every elder must understand about his faith, about justification, right? Salvation by works. Must understand about that. About eternal security, about all these things. You've got to have a working knowledge. You should understand what the Bible has to say about divorce. You should understand these basic doctrines so that you know. Do you know, I actually have one elder who said to me over a particular matter, he said, well, Roger, he said, I don't understand the Bible. Not not in our fellowship, in another fellowship. He said, I don't understand the Bible, he says, when a certain point came up. And do you know, I suddenly realized that all of the people under his authority, they were open to every wind of doctrine that came their way. Because this elder would say, oh, really? And along you go, in that direction. Oh, yes, in this direction. No, no, no. We need people who know the Word of God and have the concepts of the Word of God so that we are not misled. Okay? And every elder must know that. And I would say, by the way, not just every elder, every member of the fellowship should know these things. All right, now they're positive things. Verse 3 begins the knots. The elders should not be given to wine. This means to sit long at the table. Right? And there's the bottle and there's your glass and you're really in and that's what your right arm's for and all that. It's nothing like that. And as soon as, uh, when I'm preaching, you know, the foot's up at the side like a bar. It's not like that at all. These, generally the rule over drink in the Bible, as you know, is if you're ministering, you shouldn't touch a drop. If you're not ministering, you may have a small amount. And that's it, in extreme moderation. And occasionally, if I have a completely free day, I will have a glass of table wine, occasionally. Right? Especially when the people coming to dinner bring the bottle with them. And that's what I will 
what I will do. However, you won't see me sitting at the table, you know, with an empty glass, shaking it slightly for another topper. Not given to wine. You must learn whatever stress you've got to cast thy burden upon the Lord, not turn to something that will give you peace. And many, many men of God are actually secret tipplers, you know. It's quite surprised me. Next, no striker, which means that he won't suddenly fly off the handle and sock you one in the jaw. <laughs> not going to do, do that. I hear you've been causing trouble around. Well, I've had it. <laughs> That's no good. You must realize, if you're an elder, your authority comes from God, and he's the one who'll fight for you, thank you very much. And you don't have to do it yourself. Next, not greedy or filthy lucre. All right, here it is again. Oh, yes, I'll pop round and see them again. You know, because, well, you know, they're pretty rich. Nothing like that must enter into our minds at all. Money must not be a motive for us. But patient, right? Patient. Someone who really will sit down and spend ages, if necessary, with a particular person. As long as they're genuine, I would say. Not a brawler, which means quarrelsome, causing trouble. Do you know every person in the fellowship ought to be a peacemaker? If we had a fellowship of peacemakers, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Trouble is with most of us, we like to add a bit of fuel to the fires that are going. You know, and you give a little bit of fuel and up it goes a bit more. But a peacemaker is someone who comes and extinguishes the fire, puts it right out immediately. Not a brawler, not covenous, that is fond of silver. One that ruleth well his own house, having his own children in subjection with all gravity. If you actually have um, brought this child into the world, then in fact you must surely know how, from the word of God how to bring up that particular child. By the way, when they reach the age of majority, you are not responsible for them. Right? They will take their own decision at that point. But this is those children who are directly under your responsibility. Verse 5, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? Verse 6, Not a novice. Mustn't be young in the faith. Lest being filled up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And pride, again, is one of the greatest enemies of younger Christians. They think they know how to do it. Well, it's obvious. This is the way we do it. They're full of natural enthusiasm. But they must learn, no, God ha will have to deal with that natural enthusiasm until it becomes godly enthusiasm. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And a man must be thought well of, even by his non-Christian neighbors. They may hate his Christianity, but they must say, this man is an upright man who lives a good life in front of us. And Timothy in Acts 16 was one who was said to have done that. All right, now these are the basic things then we need to know about eldership. What I want to do to complete today's study, however, is to talk about what are our rights as individuals. You see, an eldership team has to get a balance right in the fellowship. And the balance is between this. The balance is between what are the legitimate rights of the individual and what is the extent of his authority as far as rulership is concerned. And there is a balance there. Now, in some fellowships, it's a free-for-all. You do as you please. That's wrong. In other fellowships, it's total submission. In other words, the elders are the only ones who do anything, and they do everything. And that's wrong too. And we've got to try and get the balance. You will find in this fellowship, we sometimes make mistakes. We go one way slightly too far, or the other way slightly too far. But I generally think we work 
in the middle somewhere. I don't really have, I have never found, I don't think, that we've gone to extremes in either way. We've, we've always gone along in the middle and we're trying to hit the absolute tightrope in the middle. And we're learning slowly how to do that. So what I want to do is to actually end today by talking about what are your legitimate rights as a believer. Because if you know what your rights are, you know where eldership authority ends as far as your life is concerned. Elders do not have total authority in every area of your life. And don't you believe any elder who tells you that that's the case. And there are two big categories I want to give you. First of all, every one of you has a right to free will. And no elder should ever, 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 ever come against your rights of free will. God has given you this right of free will and it is sacrosanct. Do you know that not even God denies your free will? Isn't that an amazing thing? He doesn't. If he sees one of his children doing something that will lead them astray, oh yes, he'll warn them about it. He'll try his best to put them on a different path. But if they insist upon going that path, God says, okay, down you go. You see? We have a lovely example, don't we, in, um, uh, in Salvation. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And we read in Timothy that it is God's desire that all should be saved. But does that mean to say all will be saved? No. For there are certain people who in their free will will choose never to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see? And they will go to the place of judgment. I'm persuaded in my own heart that the lake of fire is locked from the inside. I'm persuaded with that. You know, that it's these people who've chosen to deny God. They've done it sovereignly. But you've got a right to free will. And this covers many areas of your life. Can I define some of the areas that I'm talking about? First of all, you have a right to religious freedom. That's in the, the unwritten constitution of our land. You have a right to have religious freedom. And that means you have a right to worship where you want to worship and in the way that you choose to worship. That is your in, uh, inalienable right. You have an absolute right to that. And no one should influence you in any way. That is why you'll find if you want to leave the fellowship here, we may talk about it, I want to know why, and I'll take it very seriously what you say. But I'll never say, no, you mustn't go. I'll always say, well, I hope you'll be very happy in the church that you choose to go to. And I'll ask God to bless you in that particular church. Why? Because you've got a right to go to that church. You'll never find me resisting in any way. I won't do it. If you want to praise God singing Gregorian chants, God bless you. That's your religious freedom. What you must do, however, is check that you get together with God and with the Word of God to see that you're in the right place and that you're worshipping them the way God wants you to worship. I'm not saying it's going to be easy once you're in that place. It's not going to be easy. You will be tested all the way. But if you know God's will is there, that this is God's will for you, you can get through anything. But yours is the right of religious freedom and you've got to stand for that. Another thing, you have the right to live where you want to live. Okay? You do. And no one can direct you on that. You may come to me and say, look, Roger, I feel I should be moving to lower bongo bongo land is my usual example. And I may say to you, look, I'm not very happy about this. Could we pray about it? And then we'll pray about it. And you still feel it's right. I cannot stop you. And I will not try to stop you. And may I say this, don't ever be put under pressure by any elder in these respects. I'll tell you this. I had a letter from a chap from up north. 
And this chap wrote to me, he said, Roger, I couldn't stay in the fellowship where I was. There was so much bondage and so much oppression being put upon me. I couldn't stay there. And he said, I, I told the elder that I was dissatisfied. They did nothing about it. And he defined exactly what was wrong. And then he said, look, I think I'm better off down in the local Baptist church or wherever. And the elder then said to him, if you leave this church, you will lose your salvation and go to hell. Now that was actually said to this chap. This chap took this very seriously. And do you know, he was right on the verge of a nervous breakdown when someone handed him my tapes on eternal security. Oh. Hallelujah. And he wrote to me, he said, Roger, I was saved from the mental institution just because of those tapes. Now that is abominable. Do you see what they're trying to do? They're trying to rule through fear. But the worst thing is they are infringing the rights of religious freedom of that individual. I have a right, thank you very much, to worship in freedom, in body ministry, if I so please. And if everyone else wants to go off, okay, that's fine. But as for me and my house, there'll be Ros and I and our children, and we'll be doing what we do every evening anyway, having body ministry. And in this hall, probably. Right? That's, I can choose that. I have the right to do that. Now, you have the right also to do that, or also the right to go elsewhere. That's part of your religious freedom. To live where you are, Again, don't allow anyone to put you in bondage. One uh, chap again wrote to me. I get loads of letters. Some of them absolutely make my hair go curly. <laughs> See? You wouldn't believe I used to have dead straight hair before I became a Bible teacher. No, I didn't, of course. But um, uh, one chap wrote, wrote to me about this, and he said that he told this chap that God had told him to move to such and such a place. And the elder actually said, if you move down there, God is going to judge you and you will find, and he started reeling out all these dreadful curses upon the head of this believer. Now that's an infringement of his personal liberty. That really is. That's wrong. And of course, it may be that God may judge that man if there are attitudes that are wrong in his life. But he's certainly not going to judge him just because he moves from that area to this area. That's not it at all. Now don't be put under pressure and don't you allow any man to bring you into bondage. That is outside the authority of an elder. Tell them to mind their own business or to get lost, right? But do it respectfully. <laughs> right, next one. You've got a right to choose who you marry. In some fellowships, you know, I've actually heard of this. Uh, elders say, excuse me, we feel you should marry such and such a person. Great. And apparently if you don't, you're out of fellowship with the elders. That's it. <laughs> But the thing is, you see, you must make the choice. May I say, I as a Bible teacher will be able to come up to you and say this, excuse me, that girl or that boy is not a Christian. Therefore, you should not be marrying. But then I'm not saying that from my own authority. I'm saying that from the Word of God. And I will turn you to the passage that says, be not mismated with an unbeliever. It also means I will refuse, and this is my liberty now, to take your wedding. I won't do it. You see? You wouldn't ask me to anyway, probably. You'd get such a dreadful sermon. And you're stuck there. But I have a right. Similarly, if uh, I find someone marrying someone who I don't think is quite right for them, in other words, you've got one person who's against the move of the Spirit and one who's in it, I might say, now, do you know what you're taking on? And I might just put a word of wisdom. But nevertheless, if they decide to go ahead, that's their affair. After all, they've got to live with one another. I haven't got to live with them. Hallelujah. <laughs> and they have the right to do that. And it's their sovereign decision. They will answer to God for their lives. I will not answer on that particular issue. All right? Now, these are the basic rights. Incidentally, you have a right to give what you want, don't you? 
you know I've done teaching, or as far as this series is concerned, will be doing teaching on giving, on uh, what the Bible says about tithing and so on. But you know that the basic teaching comes to this in the Bible, that you must decide how much you give. The elders can give you a teaching, they can suggest you give to this, this and this, but finally it's up to you. Why? Because you're a steward of the Lord's money and you will give an account of how you've given. That's your own private affair and your own business has nothing to do with me at all. Right? You've got, I will give an account of my own giving, you will give an account of yours. And so it's important to get this right. I may not tell you what colour front door to have. I may not tell you where to go on holiday. I may not tell you where to send your children to school. I may not tell you any of these things at all. They are in your own area of jurisdiction. Now that limits eldership responsibility, doesn't it? And by the way, we don't know really how blessed we've been in this place. But if you have been to some fellowships around, you will find the most terrible things have been going on. So that's the first thing, the right to free will. The second absolute right you've got is this, right to read the Bible and learn of doctrine yourself. You've got an absolute right to read any book on any subject that you want. An elder is not in a position to forbid you. And you might say, why on earth is he saying this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because in certain places, the type of word given out is this. Do you submit to the elders and their teaching? As if they're related. They're not related. They're two separate things. Right? Because in fact, if you sign on the bottom line saying, yes, I submit to these elders, apparently whatever those elders believe, you've got to believe it. Now, that is an infringement of your personal liberty. You have a right to believe whatsoever you want to believe from the Word of God. A friend of mine, and a dear friend of mine as well, just loved the whole doctrine, you know, of the pre-tribulational rapture. He loved it. Oh, he was so excited that the Lord could come any time. Oh, it so thrilled him. And he belonged to a fellowship, and an elder got to hear that this was his view. The elder actually came to see him, and my friend said, Oh, wonderful, you know, I've come to you about your belief on the pre-tribulational rapture. And he said, well, that's marvellous, he said, you know. And he got his Bible out, and they thought, marvellous, we can have a time of Bible study. And uh, he said, uh, we, we don't believe it as an eldership, and so we're asking you, please, you know, to drop it. And he said, well, can we turn to the Bible and have a look, you know, because there are passages in the Bible that if you don't accept it, I want an explanation. The elder actually said to him this. He said, that's not the point. The Bible's not the point. The point is, are you submitted to us as an eldership? Now, as soon as you hear that type of thing, that's absolute bondage. And may I tell you, that's the quickest way to get heresy in the church. It's a terrible thing, that. You know, it's the word of God which is the thing that we must be committed to. And then judge the eldership according to that. That's why, by the way, I have said to you all, please read your Bibles and be free to. Please read any book you want to on any doctrinal slant that you want to. This is your inalienable right. Absolutely. I heard of another minister. The first thing he said, American chap, arrived in Britain. He stood up in the pulpit and this was his first word. He said, if you've got any books by, and he listed this author, throw them out the window. Well, people in this country had never heard of this author, but I had. And do you know... Why he wanted them thrown out the window? Because the chap who'd written those books gave a different doctrine to the one that he was going to give from the pulpit. 
Isn't that convenient? So don't confuse yourself, everybody. Just take in what I say and chuck the rest out the window. That's not the way. In fact, I may say this to you. I might say, if you read this book, be careful. You know, make sure you're discerning. But you'll never, ever hear me saying, you should not read this book. Never. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit's the one who leads us into all truth. Praise God. And that is your utter and inalienable right. You have the right to get the Word of God and to understand doctrine for yourself. I, oh, a tragic thing. I stayed with a young man and his wife when I was ministering at a certain fellowship. And over tea, I just said, isn't it marvellous that God hasn't finished with Israel? You know, I, we were talking about these things. And I said, even though they, they're out of fellowship at the moment, isn't it great that God's promises hold and he's not a liar? He's going to fulfill his word to Israel. Isn't it wonderful? And the chap sort of shrugged. And he said to me, I used to believe that. I said, oh, yes. And I said, but it's clear in the Bible, isn't it? Oh, probably, he said. And I said, well, don't you believe it now? He said, no. He said, well, you see, the elders here don't believe that. And so I'm submitted to them, so I don't believe that either. Now, isn't that an incredible state, state of affairs to be in? And if you have that type of wrong authority in the eldership, do you know they can lead anyone astray on any point? Because apparently it's a sort of brainwashing thing. You know, this is right, this is right, this is right, this is right, this is right. No, no, you check up everything that is given out. You have the right to get the Word of God. It's the Word of God that is above everything as far as we are concerned all right and let's let's end for tonight then in deuteronomy in chapter 13 and let's just see this in deuteronomy 13 and this is a passage we've seen before in deuteronomy 13 And it says this, If there arise among you a prophet, and may I say now, a prophet was a person of very high position in Israel. This is a very high dignitary. If there arise among you a prophet, or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken to the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. Now here's a man, he walks in, he says, By the way, I'm a well-known minister. I'm an apostle, Right? Real top dog. And he says, and to prove my apostleship, at nine o'clock a chap's going to walk in through that door whose name will be Raymond Baxter or something like this. And I'm, he'll say, is this the coast, coach station or something of that sort. And we're all waiting for nine o'clock and all of a sudden this chap opens the door and says, hello, I'm Raymond Baxter, is this the coach station? Now in our days, everyone would say, oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> oh, it's such a miracle. We've rushed him. We say, "Isn't it wonderful?" Guess what happened? This great minister arrived, and he, it was, and all these things happened. Oh, it was wonderful, and we'd be totally taken in, you see. And then, because of all that, what we would say is, "Oh, whatever he says is right. Must be right, because he said it now." Had signs and miracles to prove the word. The word went forth with signs and wonders following. Great stuff. This says, "Oh, hooey!" It says. No. It says this, if you've got enough word of God up here, enough savvy 
up here. And he starts preaching, and at first it sounds fine, then you suddenly realize he's preaching a different gospel. Then it says, despite all of his great name tag, right? In spite of all the signs and miracles, you are to get up from your seat and you are, have to, are to have nothing to do with that particular person. Which has the higher authority, a dignitary or the Word of God? The answer is the Word of God every time. And that's why it's the Word of God which is your inalienable right. That's important. And every elder and every Bible teacher should not just be taken just because they've said it. You've got to take the Word of God and get it. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give people in their minds a structure so that they know what their rights are. All right, having said all of that, next time I'll be speaking on what membership really means and what we mean by the term submission. And we'll be having a look at the true authoritative role of, a, of um, an elder. God bless you all. Amen.